Good morning, everyone. This is Father Nate, missionary priest in Italy, and thanks for joining us today, December 3rd, on No Greater Delight, our podcast on Marian feasts and Marian meditations. Well, today we recall three different Marian celebrations. The first has quite a, an interesting story. It's Our Lady of Falermo, or Falermo. The Madonna of Falermo is a sacred icon. According to tradition, it was painted by St. Luke, and then the image itself miraculously traveled from across the sea from Jerusalem to Mount Phileremos on the island of Rhodes. There it was kept in a shrine, which later grew into being a sanctuary. Well, when the Knights of the Order of St. John conquered Rhodes in 1309, the Madonna of Falermo became their most treasured, one of their most treasured possessions, right? So then what happened? Well, in 1524, Rhodes fell to the Ottoman Turks. And so then what did the knights do? Well, they took the image with them until they finally settled in Malta in 1530. There it was also revered, very special. But then, yet again, in 1798, the knights were expelled from Malta by Napoleon. And so what happened? Well, the Grand Master of the Order took the icon with it, or sent the icon to Russia, right? So there it remained from 1798 until 1917. Why? Because the image survived the Russian Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution. And so the Empress Maria Fedorovna took the image with her to her native Denmark. That's where she took refuge in 1919. Now, before her death in 1928, she entrusted the icon to her daughters, who sent it to Belgrade by means of the president of the Synod of the Russian Bishops in exile in Berlin. So, in 1932, they were given into the custody of King Alexander I of Yugoslavia who placed them in the royal palace, in the chapel. In 1941, under the threat of a, a Nazi invasion, the icon was sent to the Orthodox monastery of Ostrog in Montenegro. From there on, they were lost. It was only in 1993 that the icon was rediscovered in the storerooms of the National Museum in Montenegro. It was confirmed as truly the lost icon by an Italian scholar in 1997, and the image remains on display in the museum. Now we'll jump over, if that wasn't enough traveling for you, we'll jump over to Paris, where the, we celebrate the Church of Our Lady of Victories, built in 1629 by King Louis XIII, in thanksgiving for favors granted him by the Blessed Mother, right? So this is an old church, but what we really recall is that, yeah, after the French Revolution, people stopped practicing. In 1809, it was restored. It became like it had fallen into disuse, all these different things. But people really didn't practice. So it was a father, Charles Frichte de Guinée, who was transferred to the church in 1832. And so then what did he do? Well, he tried, he tried you know, to do everything he could to encourage people to come back to the church, but they just didn't do it. It was on Sunday, December 3rd, while he was saying Mass in an almost empty church, as he was praying the canon of the Mass, the Eucharistic prayer, he just cried out in distress. And then he heard a calm, clear voice tell him very solemnly, Consecrate your parish to the most holy and immaculate heart of Mary. That's it. Consecrate your parish to the most holy and immaculate heart of Mary. Right? And then he wondered about it. He said, okay, whatever. But as he was making his Thanksgiving after Mass, he heard the same words. Right? So then what did he do? Well, he took a pen and wrote rules for a confraternity of Our Lady, and the bishop approved it that very week. 
So the following Sunday, he told people at Mass about his plan and his project, saying that they would pray evening prayer for Our Lady that evening. Right? So then, when Father entered the church that evening, he found it filled for the first time in four year, in years. There were more than 400 people. The parish continued to flourish, and it became famous through all out, throughout Paris and France, and then even outside of France. Right? So in March of 1855, there was a, an octave of thanksgiving in honor of the proclamation of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. At the end of this octave, the statue in the church was seen to move. And so the statue was later crowned by uh, Pope Pius IX, right? Uh, and last but not least, we will jump down to Italy, where they celebrate the Vergine de Monte Santo in Rome, right? This is a particular church, right? In the Piazza del Popolo in Rome, there's a small church run by the Carmelite friars called uh, St. Mary of the Holy Mountain, Vergine del Monte Santo, right? making reference to Mount Carmel in the Holy Land. Now, in this church, there is a miraculous image of uh, Our Lady and Child, which was believed to have been painted by an 11-year-old with supernatural help, right? So, after the painting was crowned in 1659, on December 3rd, uh, Cardinal Castaldi decided to build a much bigger and better sanctuary. So, there were great architects that worked on it, including Bernini. And so, what happened? Well, again... The painting, we don't know exactly when it comes from, but late 1400s, and it occupies a huge altarpiece in this church. In 1953, Pius XII designated the Basilica of Santa Maria Monte Santo as the official church for artists, who still come there seeking divine help for their works. You know, as we make our way through this month of December, we recall that this month is filled with Marian feasts and devotions. So on the one hand, yes, we have December 8th, the Immaculate Conception. We have Our Lady of Guadalupe. We also have Christmas, which is, yes, the birth of Jesus Christ. But it's also so important for us because Jesus comes into the world through Mary. So with that in mind, I, I came across a book recently that appeared for the first time in English. It's published by Tan, and it's called Crown of the Virgin. An Ancient Meditation on Mary's Beauty, Virtue, and Sanctity. Now, like I said, it's the first time it's appeared in English, but it's actually an old text because it's attributed to St. Idefonsis of Toledo, right? Toledo in Spain. And again, what does he try to do in this? Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful, in Latin, it's called Libellus de Corona Virginis, the, the little book on the crown of the Virgin. And in it, there's a number of meditations where, in beautiful poetic style, Idefonsis explains all of Mary's virtues. So much so that, that one editor of this book, he says, we scarcely believe that this small book could be read without it inspiring an intimate sense of piety and devotion towards the mother of God. Right? So this is exactly what we want. We want this book to help us grow in our devotion to Our Lady. So again, what is the, what is the point of the book? Why is it called The Crown of the Virgin? Well, it's called the crown of the virgin because he says, yeah, because Mary deserves to be crowned above everything else. And he says, you know, I, I, can't, I can't praise her enough. Mary is so beautiful, but I, I will try to do it. And I'll try to give her a crown of purest gold, right? And so he says, that's why I'll make you a crown with my words, right? The crown which I would fashion for you, O mistress, fittingly ought to be fashioned of purest gold, for just as gold excels all other metals in virtue and rarity, so you have primacy above all others 
both in heaven and on earth. Right? So this very beautiful set talks about each of the jewels that he wants to put in her crown. And so it also ends with a beautiful prayer, which we can make our own. He says, O virgin queen, clothed with the sun, crowned with twelve stars and raised up to the highest heavens, you are most merciful. You are more radiant than the star of the sea. Defend us by your gentle protection, that we may not be disturbed or overcome by our foes. And may we pass, secure in the hope of the holy resurrection, to the glory of eternal light. Amen.